Episode 219 of the Read to Lead podcast is sponsored in part by Self-Publishing School. For free training on how to self-publish your book in as little as 90 days and get a copy of my friend Chandler Bolt's book, Published, simply visit readtoleadpodcast.com slash published. Innovation is really about taking a global challenge like climate change and creating new products and new commercially successful solutions to solve that problem. Hi, and welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. It's the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. I'm your host, Jeff Brown, and I believe that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then you need to want to be a lifelong learner. And a key component to that is reading intentionally and consistently. The Read to Lead podcast is going to help you narrow this very important reading list and bring you key insights and valuable ideas from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. Today's guest is a brand new author. We'll be joined by Alice Mann momentarily. She's the author of Future First, How Successful Leaders Turn Innovation Challenges into New Value Frontiers. I'll be asking Alice to share about some of the world's toughest innovation challenges moving forward and how your company can play a role in helping solve them, how to change your mindset to think more like a future-first leader, ways that successful companies are building future-first thinking into their culture and DNA, and much, much more. Alice's book is a practical guide for any business leader who wants to build, expand, or reinvent their company by finding new value in global challenges. Now, through real-life business examples, she lays out how to identify and adopt the future-first leadership mindset and business capabilities required to achieve lasting and integrated performance results. Alice argues that successful partnerships and alliances among big global companies and small mission-driven ones can reshape the global ecosystems of apparel, food, and energy and remake the future of our world. Mike Alice, you've probably thought about writing a book at some point in your life. Maybe you've had people tell you you should write a book. Maybe you've even already started writing that book, or you have the entire thing in your head. You just haven't been able to to get it down on paper. The fact is, writing a book is hard, right? And, and writing a book that actually makes money and gets read by real people, not just your, your friends and your family, is nearly impossible if you don't have a proven system in place that you can follow. Now, I mentioned my friend Chandler Bolt a moment ago. He's been on the show a couple of times. Uh, he's the founder of Self-Publishing School, which is an online education company dedicated to one thing, helping people like yourself get your book idea out of your head and onto paper as quickly as possible, and then getting your published book into the hands of as many readers as possible. And here's the exciting part. Chandler is hosting free training where he'll show you the exact process to follow to go from blank page to published author in as little as 90 days and the exact book launch blueprint to follow to launch your book to $10,000 and beyond and earn monthly royalties month after month. Now, if you have ever thought about writing a book, whether it's an extra income stream or to generate leads for your business or to share a story you've wanted to tell, you owe it to yourself to sign up for this training and it's completely free. You can register by going to this link, readtoleadpodcast.com slash published. That's readtoleadpodcast.com slash published. 
O. And when you register for the training, guess what? You get a free copy of Chandler's best-selling book, Published. It's a book with over 500 reviews on Amazon and normally sells for 15 bucks. If nothing else, I, mean, I can't imagine why you would do this, but if nothing else, register for the training so that you can get the book for free. But do yourself a favor and attend the webinar too. Again, to sign up for it right now and get that free book headed to your door, readtoleadpodcast.com slash published. Alice Mann advises senior executives on how to build their leadership teams and design their organizations to achieve their mission and strategy. And she's consulted with and coached scores of leaders of global Fortune 500 companies, preeminent nonprofits, and social enterprises to inspire and deliver strong performance results. Uh, she is former vice president at J.P. Morgan Chase, where she led large post-merger reorganization efforts. That's a mouthful. Uh, she holds a Ph.D. and M.A. in social and organizational psychology from Columbia University and a B.A. in history from Reed College. And she also taught a graduate course called Leading People at Columbia University. Alice's new book is called Future First. How Successful Leaders Turn Innovation Challenges into New Value Frontiers. I'm excited to have her here. Alice, welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. Well, I know that publishing a book has has been a lifelong dream, and this one was, uh, I think, three years in the making, if I'm not mistaken. So I wanted to begin our conversation by saying congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> how, how does it feel to finally uh, get it out into the world? Well, it's a lot like having your first child, so you don't know what you're putting out into the world until it's actually out there. But it, you know, it's a real journey, as you said, and you know, from interviews to writing to publishing, each of those are very different steps. Yeah, and has the has the response been, I assume, favorable uh, thus far? Yeah, it's been great, and I've been in a lot of good conversations like this one coming out of the book. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I thought we'd start by giving some context and having you define what is future first exactly. So let me start with an example. Mm -hmm. And it's one that people know well. So that's why I want to use it. (laughs) And that's Elon Musk's transformation of the automobile industry Mm -hmm. through electric cars. Uh, Now he's moving into energy and finding ways of storing sustainable solar power and, and that sort of thing which has, again, the promise to transform the industry of sustainable energy because battery storage is one of the barriers right now to driving costs down. So that, to me, is future first leadership. And we need more Teslas um, in our economy so that it's not so much of a singular example. And what I mean by that is the innovation that Tesla has has done is really about taking a global challenge like climate change, um, and and creating new products and new commercially successful solutions to solve that problem, not just out of a moral imperative, but in a way that is attractive and appealing to consumers, taking something like an electric car and starting in the luxury market and then driving the costs down so that it becomes more and more accessible and, and using that as a way to innovate the technology behind it along the way. Mm. Uh, To that, talk about this issue that you address, Alice, in in the very first chapter, that is these external costs often created by a company's activities and and how those costs go unnoticed from an accounting perspective and how companies can begin to, to bring these externalities back inside. Right. So Tesla is an example of future first because they've looked out ahead. I think what happens with a lot of other companies 
is they the the problem catches up the externality catches up with them and then it starts to become a cost mm. that they that they have to address so nike is an example of that i think in in the 90s their supply chain and their social corporate responsibility practices in their supply chain became a scandal and then they had to get ahead of it and and bring some of those costs back in house and really invest in better practices um, with their outsourced factories now i think that a lot of companies are facing that around, including Nike, around the Me Too movement mm. and needing to look at the the costs really of unfair treatment or, or you know, not, not valuing all their employees equally and not addressing issues of gender diversity and inclusion in the companies. And now there's, there's a business cost to that if you lose leadership mm. um, over some of those issues. So companies that can think ahead of some of those global challenges and bring and, and invest earlier in, in solving those problems, I think end up generating more value and, and not incurring the costs later on. Well, you've, you've, you've mentioned a couple, but what, what are are some of the biggest innovation challenges you see going forward facing facing our world? Sure. So there are many, but the three that I chose to focus on because I think that they are um, certain to affect the global economy for a long time. And so I think that businesses would do well to innovate around these challenges are climate change from a hotter planet. Mm. Um, I think the private sector is going to see more and more um, both pressure, but also opportunity to accelerate solutions in clean energy, manufacturing and transportation. Um, I think that growing resource scarcity in water, land and other natural resources will challenge particular industries like apparel and agriculture to come up with new materials and different means of production. And then one that's really at the forefront, I think, um, in the media today is social dynamism, which is really having a much more globalized workforce, having people of different um, nations of origin and gender and race and age working together on teams and how can leaders really get ahead of the challenges there and and build uh, really dynamic, inclusive workforces. Uh, shed some light, if you would, Alice, on what you talk about. I think it's in chapter four, just static mindset type thinking more broadly, but more specifically as an example, things like presentism. You've, you've, you've hinted at this a little bit, but how can organizations attempt to overcome uh, challenges in thinking like presentism? Right. Yeah. So presentism, the way that I define it, it's not it's not about mindfulness or kind of being in the moment. That's a great thing. And we all need more of that. It's more about being really very caught up in the way that your company drives value today. Mm. And of course, we want to preserve and companies want to preserve their their core uh, revenue streams, but innovate, you know, either five years out from that core revenue stream or 15 or 20 years out to, you know, what's going to be happening in your industry and how will it be disrupted? down the line. What I'm saying is that when leaders get trapped in preserving their current core products and services, they're they're trapped in the present and they're not they're not challenging themselves or taking the risks to really think far out into the future. How can leaders begin to transition themselves and their organizations to to a future first mindset? You address some very specific steps that leaders can take in in the book. I talk in the book both about mindset. So the mindset of individual leaders, 
And then also how, as a leader, you take that mindset and, and drive it into the organization and make it part of the capabilities of your organization and part of the business practices. So those are two different things. The mindset, you know, around overcoming presentism or really embracing some of these global challenges as innovation opportunities instead of being scared and and stepping back and letting other people solve the problems. You know, some leaders just will lean into them and see them as exciting challenges, but also risks that they need to manage for and think ahead about. But in terms of really driving those into business practices, I mean, my background is in organization design. So it's really about creating common leadership practices, particularly around treating people equally, treating people fairly. Mm. Um, I believe you get a lot more from, from your teams when you're able to do that. And when you're able to let the best ideas win, you get more innovation. Leaders who are able to be really participatory are able to get more out of uh, working with diverse teams. So to that, you, know, you talk about diverse teams. What does it mean to have a future first strategy as it relates to talent? What are some examples of, of companies you've seen doing a, a good job of that? Or, or is there still just a lot of work to be done everywhere in that regard? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think some leaders are better at it than others. And certainly, you know, some of the tech startups that I work with, you know, they're, they're doing this, they're already doing this just because of who's founded these companies. You know, sometimes it's actually younger founders are working, you know, as they become more successful, they're managing people who are coming, you know, in mid career and have a lot of experience. And, you know, so that's another dynamic. But the main thing that I see is that especially in the bigger corporations, that leaders tend to manage up. Mm. And the further up they go, the, the more they, they look to uh, manage the expectations of their shareholders, of the board, of the executive team. And future first talent strategies really look for value in the next generation, the people who will be leading the company in 15 or 20 years. And you know, leaders who are able to really listen and pay attention, inquire a lot about what the next generation values is thinking how they expect to work can really, I think, build value in across their talent because, you know, and, and I think that takes a particular set of leadership skills. Mm. You mentioned Nike earlier. What are some other examples, some companies that you feel do a good job in building future first thinking in, into their culture or into their, uh, their DNA? So one example for my book is Revolution Foods. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been around for about 10 years and, you know, they're growing pretty quickly. They serve healthy meals in urban um, schools and, uh, and also like meal kits and that type of thing at the grocery store. And I think what the founders there, Kirsten and Kristen, discovered early on was the value of their talent and of investing in people who started out with them and then grew over mm-hmm. time. And a lot of it was about being very explicit about their core values, um, giving people a lot of opportunity to grow and, you know, become managers, become invested in the brand, become culture carriers. I think the companies that can do that well and then also, you know, really identify talent, especially, you know, from the communities where, where their company is located. So I think that Kristen and Kirsten discovered over the last 10 years that, you know, some of the people who started out with them are their biggest assets now who've stayed and grown and uh, become leaders in the company. And I don't think that they expected that when they started out. Mm. 
Well, my eyes were opened as, as I read the book to companies that you know you would normally think of as just fierce competitors actually understanding the value of of working together towards some of these goals. Highlight, if you would, some of the most powerful types of uh, future first partnerships, I think is what you call it, that you've encountered in your experience over the years. What I discovered through my interviews and looking for future first companies is that Companies are no longer singular entities. They don't work one leader, one company at a time anymore. And in fact, a lot of the things that we buy are made by companies, multiple companies partnering with each other, whether it's through supply chain, outsource factories, or true partnerships between companies where for example, uh, Tesla's partnership with Panasonic around developing battery storage and um, with Solar City around solar panels, so that what we can then buy as consumers is, you know, we can have an electric car that has battery storage and can be sourced by a sol- our solar panels on our house or whatever. Um, so I think more and more that companies that do this well and intentionally um, are going to be at the forefront of innovation because that is what consumers are looking to buy. Mm. Well, I've got a couple of questions, Alice, I want to ask you that aren't directly related to the book. But before I do that, is there anything else from the book you want to make sure to impart us with? The reason I wrote the book was that I looked at some of these global challenges and I was really looking for what is the private sector doing to try to address them? And what I discovered along the way was that it wasn't necessarily just the startup companies that were you know, at the forefront of innovation or just the big companies that were operating more on a slower time frame, but really the partnership sometimes between small and big companies that were transforming um, ecosystems like energy and apparel and agriculture. And so the book is really meant to be a lot of inspirational stories from what entrepreneurs and business leaders inside big companies are doing to inspire other leaders to innovate in all kinds of different ways, not just products and services, but also people practices and processes and business practices and culture and leadership. Have, have you had success uh, getting uh, this book in the hands of company leadership and convincing them that you know, their teams need to be reading a book like this to, to wrap their heads around some of these challenges? I, yes. And I do think that the, the entry point for a lot of you know CEOs, even of very big companies now, is they're really thinking 20 years out mm-hmm. in a lot of cases, and they're trying to understand what's going to disrupt their industry in terms of technology, um, in terms of other sorts of innovation, in terms of resources and people. And so I think this book speaks to them in terms of how do you build teams within your companies and the capabilities within your companies to to be able to do that and look 20 years out on an ongoing basis and know when the next important innovation is coming down the pike and you need to respond to it. Well, Alice, I'd like for you to think about uh, the books that you've read the last few years. And if you would, share two or three titles, as many or as few as you'd like, that that immediately come to mind as having had a, a big impact on you and share maybe how or why they impacted you as they did. So re- very recently, I've been reading memoirs. So that's kind of a different, ah. a whole different genre. Um, <laughs> but over the last couple of years, and particularly around writing the book and getting it published, there was a book that I read called Life in Code by Ellen Ullman. Mm. 
which is very interesting. Um, she was like back in the 70s, really part of some of the early teams that worked on the infrastructure of our current internet. And she was one of the few women in that world. And so she has a lot of really interesting cultural insights and insights about the people that have um, that have really created kind of the infrastructure that we rely on now and, and sort of how some of their values are coded into the systems that we use. Mm. And then a couple of classics, which always, you know, sometimes those have the greatest impact when you read them at the right time. <laughs> right. So I went back and read The Fire Next Time by James Baldwin last summer. Mm. And I was just struck by how relevant it still is in terms of some of the polarized thinking in our current culture and society. Mm. And, you know, how much we demonize the other and people who think differently than us and how we've sort of through the media and social media and, you know, what sells stories, we've we've gotten pushed into more, more extreme views and partial views. And so a lot of my book is about integrative thinking and, and, you know, how can you solve global challenges, but also be commercially successful. And, you know, to this day, I work with startups that are trying to achieve a mission, but they forget that innovation isn't necessarily everything, that they have to be really good at executing and they have to have really disciplined processes and all these kind of less sexy parts of running a business. (laughs) You know, I I realized in the introduction, uh, I talked about uh, much of what you've done in the past, but I didn't mention what you're currently doing. Share, if you would, a bit about that and what you and your team are excited about going forward. So I do a range of um, leadership development and coaching and assessment, and, and that tends to be more with some of the growing dynamic startup uh, companies, sometimes in the tech space. And I love working with them because they've taken really great ideas that, are, that usually are about solving some sort of problem, whether it's in healthcare or medicine or communications. And so you know, those are really dynamic teams to, to work with their leadership. And then I also work with really big companies on their organization design. Mm. And those companies are often really interesting as well because they are thinking long term because they they have to, whether it's, you know, biotech, manufacturing, they have to understand how their industry is changing and how they need to respond and adapt. And they know that and it's not easy to do when you're a big company, but they they do understand kind of the importance of um, designing organizations that are are capable of, of looking further out and adapting to what's coming down the pike. Well, the name of the book, again, is called Future First, How Successful Leaders Turn Innovation Challenges into New Value Frontiers. Her name is Alice Mann with two N's. Alice, thank you for taking time out to be here. It was a pleasure to have you on and a pleasure to, to read what is, I guess, now called your first book. But uh, who knows, maybe not your last. I hope not. Thank <laughs> you very much for having me. For a number of ways you can connect with Alice, just check out the show notes page I've created just for this episode. There you'll also find links to the books and other resources that Alice and I talked about today. All that can be found at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 219 for episode 219. And you know, it just occurred to me, I have a couple of clients who started a podcast just a few weeks ago who exemplify, as well as anybody I can think of, future first thinkers. And it's a podcast, of all things, about water. Stephanie Savela and Ariane Shipley are passionate about water. 
and ensuring that the entire world has access to clean drinking water. Their website says the world of water is full of specs and quantitative data parts per million, parts per billion, telemetry, hydraulics, ROI, that sort of thing. And that stuff's vital to providing the world with safe, clean drinking water and sanitation services. But it's not enough. Those things aren't memorable. They don't resonate. They don't inspire. And so they created their podcast called Water in Real Life because they believe that the future lies not only in those specifications and data, but also in the space between people passionate about moving things forward. Stories fill those spaces, they say. And the stories they tell are meant to inspire, instruct, and incite action. Without action, we run in place. And I could not agree more. If you want to check them out, visit the h2duo.com. That's the T-H-E H2Duo dot com for the water in real life podcast and this episode is sponsored by self-publishing school for free training on how to self-publish your book in as little as 90 days and get a free copy of chandler bolt's book published visit readtoleadpodcast.com slash published right now well that does it for this week i look forward to seeing you next time until then remember leaders read and readers lead 